The Adam Crowley Show. Maybe I decide those te- teats don't need milking. Oh, it's close. That was close. Maybe I decide those te- teats don't need milking. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. The others don't need a squeezing. No, no, I'm not inferring that's what happened between Sid and Maria Sharapova. I'm inferring that's what happened between Sasha Vujovic and Maria Sharapova. That's who she was with, right? Sasha Vujovic, the basketball player? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's right here, the Slovenian guy. I thought she was with a hockey player, too. I must be thinking of Kornikova. Was Kornikova with both Fedorov and Ovechkin? I gotta look that one up. Pretty sure. No, Bur- Bure. That's right. Bure and Fedorov. That's right. That's right. Okay. But seriously, doesn't that photo with Sharapov and Sid look like every prom photo you've ever been in? At least for me, it did. Like, I still remember Nicola Armster asked me to the prom for some unknown reason that I still haven't figured out. It was like a punter at Mile High Stadium that caught a stiff breeze. I was just I outkicked my coverage for one brief shining moment. And I think it was because like she had gotten into a fight with her boyfriend and she just needed somebody to go to the prom with and I was I was being leveraged in that situation. And you've never seen anyone so happy to be leveraged in their lives. And uh she must have been she was our a, a, I think she was part German. Her family moved over here. She was like our soccer star. And she was probably 5'8 or 5'9 as a junior in high school. And I was not. I'm not now. And I sure as hell wasn't then. So I I should have been the one in heels. Oh, yeah. And she was in, in heels. So that made it all the better. And it was pretty clear about three songs into this prom, not my prom, but her prom, that I was nothing more than just a, a tool to be manipulated to make the other guy jealous. Like, how, how am I going to do that, though? How am I going to be the one to make some other guy jealous? That's just not going to happen. But it worked. They got back together. I think they're married and got kids now. So somewhere out there, I mean, I hope they named at least one of their children after me if I was the catalyst to get the relationship going again. But, yeah, I'm a huge Sharapova fan after that obvious kind gesture that she had towards Sidney Crosby to kneel down to his his level of being five foot, <laughs> 11 and a half to her six foot two. Play the soundbite again. This is this Sharapova ringtone. McLaughlin and I put this together at 105.9 The X way back when. Go ahead. Hit it again. I think we put that together when she got busted for meldonium or whatever the hell it was that she was taking, whatever horse steroid she was bathing in at the time or whatever. Because uh, she got suspended for that, right? Yeah, she got suspended. I think she lost sponsorships over that. Yeah, she only would have been six one and a half if it weren't for the meldonium. All right. Uh, Tim Ben's in for Adam Crowley today. If you're just tuning in, we've been all over the map. We've had a number of different topics to discuss today. Uh, The first of which I think is worth revisiting. And we were talking to open the program about everything that went down in Pittsburgh over the weekend when it came to the protests, 
which, by the way, took place right outside of my front door. Like, I, I live in a building right above the jewelry stores on Liberty Avenue, like right in the cultural district. And on Friday morning, after they shut down the parkway, there was a little mini protest right outside of my building at about 930. There's like six people. Same sort of thing happened before. A kid runs in front of a bus as it's making a slow left turn. That gums up traffic. Everybody walks in. There's only about six or seven people, but nobody was doing anything. Traffic was held up. And these two guys get into a fight, like right under my window, because I'm hearing all this commotion, this ruckus, so I'm just sort of watching out the window. Uh, it wasn't race because they were both black, both the guys who got involved in the fight. Neither It wasn't like a white versus black thing. One guy got pissed off. The traffic was being held up. He comes in, grabs the megaphone from somebody, slams it down to the ground. Some other guy who's on the side of the protesters goes across and meets him right up front in front of the Wood Street Tee and punches him in the face. Blood goes everywhere. He gets knocked out. All three stations came and interviewed the guy. The cops finally show up. I don't know if they buried the story because other stuff happened or if they eventually ran the footage or whatever. Maybe they just ran it at noon. I didn't see it at 5, but all three stations were there. I talked to the camera guys after. I went out and got a coffee when finally things cleared out. And it only cleared out because one of those 12 cloud bursts we had last week happened and everybody just ran away from the rain. Then the big one happened again at like 5.30 in the middle of rush hour. They shut down Liberty Avenue again, and they go across to PNC Park. And that was one serious question that we brought up, because there's, there's, sort of, there's two sports-related angles to what happened over the weekend that I think are worth talking about, and by no means are trivializing what we're saying here. Like I was alarmed when I read the quote in the Trib from one of our reporters that a cop had told them, one of the police on the scene outside of PNC Park, that if the protesters were going to want to go into PNC Park, they were just going to let them. Uh, nah, that's that's a bad idea. That, that's a poor idea. You know, first of all, I, I, I've always been of the opinion ever since this whole thing started that a lot of the protesting of what we're seeing, the protesting of the lack of justice is ironic to me because what are you supposed to do? Administer justice in 36 hours? Like, was this cop supposed to be charged, tried, convicted, tarred, feathered, and electrocuted in 36 hours? I mean, seriously. So there was that. And shutting down the parkway to me for five and a half hours outside the Squirrel Hill Tunnel, you do something like that when justice has not been administered. Like The protest that took place outside the courthouse, that's what you do when something like this first happens. So I, I didn't like that. And the notion, like, if they got into PNC Park, they'd still be there. It would have turned into a sit-in. It would have turned into a national story. They'd still be there. So if anybody had gotten froggy and decided to do this, and what does that say? Like, that's in print now. Everybody knows that. So if something like this happens again, and there's 70,000 people at Heinz Field in the fall, or if something happens with this cop along the same lines, the, the same storyline, this same story, what if he gets out on a technicality? What if the decision goes against it? It happens in September or August. You're going to let, what, by that point, 1,000, 2,000 protesters just to walk into Heinz Field because you, you, you said that they could outside of PNC Park? <laughs> Better not. Better not. Like, eventually, you got to draw a line somewhere. How do you think that would have gone if they had just walked into PNC Park? 100% peace? Game gets interrupted. Fans get mad. Bunch of drunk people that paid money to be there. You don't think... That's when it gets bad. Like, I get it. 
the police are trying to avoid any sort of conflict and they want to give them as much free reign as possible so as not to antagonize the situation. I get it. But there comes to a point where not everybody is going to be thinking along that line and their strength in numbers. And I know that sounds funny talking about a pirate crowd. I'm not trying to make a joke, but, you know, there's still more people there than there were marching. There's a couple hundred. Even by that point in the ball game for the Pirates, there were, what, five, ten thousand 10,000 still in the seats? Yeah, that could have gotten ugly. That's a little too liberal in my mind as far as giving latitude to what the protesters can. You know, it's not just, oh, you're disrupting a sporting event. I don't give a crap if the Diamondbacks-Pirates game is disrupted. What I do give a crap about is making the situation worse in an attempt to make it better. You know, I was in Boston when uh, their highway got shut down. I can't remember if it was 93 or 95, but there was somebody who chained themselves to a cinder block, like in the middle of morning traffic, and everything got backed up, and there was, I can't remember if the person died or it was a minor issue that turned into a major issue. Somebody in an ambulance got gummed up, and they almost didn't make it, if I remember correctly. I've got to go back and look at the details of that case, but I remember that pretty well. It's something. It was the exact same situation. A protest, major highway gets shut down, what, for justice that hasn't had a chance to be administered yet? So I had a problem with that and also the idea that the bigger the venue, the more likely it is we're just going to let them in. That's going to be a Steeler game someday. And then you're going to have real problems. You're going to have real problems. 412-922-2874. Not because of what happens with the football game, because of what happens in the parking lots and with the fans. Then you're going to have real problems. Secondly, the other topic we brought up, we got into this a little bit more in depth before, has to do with the what I deem to be deafening quiet from National Football League players on this topic of conversation. And I don't think there's much that the two sides of this fence agree on. Hey, go on social media. I don't need to tell you. You, you put in the name of either the victim or the cop or just say Pittsburgh comma shooting. It's one tweet saying... You know, the cop's got to be put to death. And then there's another tweet saying that the kid had it coming. And then there's just vitriol on both sides. So, you know, there are two sides of this fence. And at some point, you hope it comes together in a nexus somewhere. And we can meet, reach a point where we agree on something. But one point that I think is pretty easily agreed upon here is, boy, for a lot of talk over this topic of conversation being something very important to a lot of NFL players... I have seen zero activity. I saw one sympathetic tweet from Antonio Brown, and it wasn't a statement about the police or gun violence or anything like that. It was just, RIP, what a sad day. That's all Antonio Brown sent out. But I have seen nothing when it comes to Colin Kaepernick, Eric Reed, Malcolm Jenkins, Chris Long, A lot of guys who said that the reason for the importance of these protests was to take a a grassroots topic and make it a national talking point, right? 412-922-2874. You're going to agree or disagree on this, but I would think that both sides would actually agree on this. That there's an absence of backing up the dialogue. There's an absence of backing up the statement from a lot of players out there who made this a very important passion and passion point of discussion. 
What we kept hearing over and over again was that the flag and the anthem needed to be brought in as a symbol because it took that kind of national symbol to take locally potted dialogues about police brutality or violence against minorities from the cops. We needed that to make this happen. Well, this is as graphic as it gets. This is as obvious as it gets. So where's the support? You know, where are the calls for justice? Where's how come? How come it's only on Lamont Wade, the one kid from Penn State, to be the only athlete that I've seen associated with this? What is Eric Reed getting for tra- ready for training camp? Is Colin Kaepernick getting ready for training camp? Where are they? You know, how come they're not a part of this? You know, I, I saw a lot of interaction between various athletes and Donald Trump, like the McCourty twins, and I mentioned Jenkins, and I mentioned uh, Colin Kaepernick about commuting sentences of nonviolent offenders. But I was told by the NFL players who were taking a knee that this topic was so important that even though the flag itself had nothing to do with the topic of city-to-city police interaction with its citizens, the fact that the flag was brought in needed to happen so we could start talking about this. Well, now that it's happened... What, because it's the off-season we don't talk about it? Because it's the off-season we just tweet photos of our workouts and where we're vacationing and what TV shows we're watching? And, and you know, two, two things that have come up as to why they're not doing anything about it, a lot of the athletes who have claimed that this is an important topic, is number one, they're unaware of it. No, I'm sorry. Ignorance is not an excuse on this one. If you claim to care that much about this topic, I don't care if you're a Dallas Cowboy, a Washington Redskin, a Miami Dolphin, or a Pittsburgh Steeler, you know about what's happening in Pittsburgh right now. It's too, it's, it's in the New York Daily News, it's on ABC, it's in the Washington Post. It's a national friggin' story. It's not just in the A block before weather with Andrew Stocky and Janelle Hall. Okay, it's a national thing. That's one. Two, if you're telling me that they're waiting to find out more facts about the kid getting shot, and they're trying to find more facts about whether or not he was directly involved and pulled the trigger on the drive-by 13 minutes earlier, okay, tell me if you believe that before you want me to. Tell me if you believe that the same guys who are protesting to that degree in the regular season have taken the time to study this story that closely that they know those specific details. Tell me you believe that before you get me to believe that. It's just, it's a deafening silence over the exact story that got a national talking point going for 18 months, and now no one's saying anything about it. 412-333, sorry, 412-922-2874, flashback there. We played the Sharapova thing, I just went back in time. Richard and Wheeling, go ahead. Yeah, I would like to, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. So I just thought part of what you were saying, where was this highway that the uh, protester brought? Which highway was it? 376. Uh, so that wouldn't be Green Tree Hill then? No, it was the parkway. It was out by, uh, out by the tunnel, out by the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Well, there's a lot of traffic that would be going through there. What did they do? How many lanes is that? that? Two or four? Are you just tuning into this whole thing? Yeah, about five minutes ago. No, <laughs> are you just tuning into the whole debate? It was shut down for five and a half hours. Down here in Wheeling, I 
I didn't hear any of the details. Nothing. It was not on uh, local news. It wasn't. They didn't get well, it's because Colin Kaepernick didn't take a knee. Just the protesters did. And actually, you know what? That call of ignorance is speaking exactly to what I'm saying. If there was no national voice to it, trying to glom onto the topic, then I guess it doesn't blow up. And that's why it's not trivializing it to bring up the angle of sports. You know, the biggest reason, a huge reason why that many people showed up to protest was because it was a sports-related topic for 18 months. And it turned into a national political topic because a sports figure took a knee during a national anthem that is only played during a sports event. And where do they go to try to make their statement above and beyond anywhere else? To a sporting event on the North Shore. So it's not trivializing it at all to bring sports into this topic of conversation. You can 412-922-2874. But who knows? Maybe that's the next step. Something else goes wrong in the case with the case that the protesters don't like. Maybe it is the Fort Pitt Tunnel at 9 a.m. And then we'll see who gets stuck in an ambulance. All right, we'll come back. Uh, we'll continue talking about this. Also, uh, Mark Madden had some comments on it, too. Uh, Mark talked about the uh, Kessel situation and uh, Sean Rodriguez. We've got to get back to Sean Rod as well. Tim Benson in for Adam Crowley. Well, interesting basketball notes here, actually, before we get to Mark Madden. Tim Ben's in for Adam. Brad Wanamaker is signing with the Celtics. Do you see this? When's the last time you thought of Brad Wanamaker, Tom? Even You're a pick guy, aren't you? It has to be like when 2011. When is the, literally the last time that Brad Wanamaker's name just crossed through your mind? It has to be 2011, 2012, back yes. when I was in high school. Uh, he graduated in 2011. Since then, he has played for seven European teams since leaving Pitt. Um, he just reached the final four with the Turkish Fenerbahce team. Second team all Euro League this season. He's 28. He's going to come back over and play in the NBA? Like, leg- like, apparently they're legitimately bringing him in in case Marcus Smart leaves. And giving him a whirl. That's their backup plan for Marcus Smart leaving? Well, I'm sure they have another one. They better. Maybe the backup plan is to have somebody else who plays a different role, and then he can be kind of the bruiser, thick guard that can defend people and knock them around and draw fouls and flop, which is what they teach you to do in Europe. And Smart was really good at. So that was one. The other one was, did you see LeBron James's kid try his first in-game dunk? He biffed it. LeBron's kid tried his first in-game dunk and missed. Was this eighth grade? Uh, he might be a freshman in high school now. Oh, that's a bad look. Yeah. Um, LeBron was... I, I think he was surprised that the kid tried it. He, I almost got the impression that LeBron was surprised that he came as close as he did. So I, I don't know if it looked as bad to LeBron as maybe it did to everybody else, but he hit the bottom of the rim. Maybe he'll wind up at Duquesne with Keith Dambrut after all. All right, um, I talked to Mark Madden for our Madden Monday segment. Now, Mark disagrees with me about the whole protester thing when it comes to the um, connection between Antoine Rose and the um, NFL players and whether or not they should be more vocal in this uh, connection between the kneeling that they have with the anthem and the flag and police violence against 
people in the neighborhoods that they are paid to protect. That image that Colin Kaepernick has put out there. And again, he's the wrong messenger. He's just the wrong messenger. You don't have the pig socks guy try to disseminate this message. So I, I talked to Mark a little bit about this. Here's what Mark had to say. Well, don't forget, no Steeler players have taken an E, Tim. So even though, you know, what happened to uh, Antoine Rose is very local, the Steelers haven't localized the NFL protest. And, and I think that if it had happened in uh, San Francisco where, you know, Kaepernick started all this, I think there would be a connection between uh, the NFL protest and what's going on with Antoine Rose, the aftermath of that. But uh, there is no Steeler connection to what the NFL's doing. And honestly, I'm fine by that. I feel terrible about what happened to this kid, and I, and I support the protesters as long as it's nonviolent, which it is. Uh, I, I love when people want protests to not ever inconvenience anybody. Uh, that kind of misses the point of protesting. But uh, I, I think because there's no local connection to the NFL take a knee thing, that the NFL players will not address the Antoine Rose situation. Now, I'd ask this, though. I mean, do you think that the protesters wanted 100% to avoid violence? Like, was was there not a little part? Why, why do you go then and bait whoever is coming out of PNC Park? That gave one extra innings, right? And that part of the reason why they left, it was still going on. And they ended up coming back over during the fireworks. Over to Market Square. That's how I remember it. I was sitting outside in Market Square at that point. Um, aren't you kind of looking for a little something there? Like it, it, it makes more news if there's violence. And you don't want to be the one to start the violence, but you don't mind if somebody starts it with you, then they look bad, right? And then the cops have to turn on those that are trying to come at you, and now you have to make the cops be on your side. Like There's this whole psychology to how this works. And that's why I'm not really comfortable with this whole idea that was written about in the Trib, as one police officer told one of our reporters, yeah, if they had wanted to go into PNC Park, we just would have left them. That would have been, or let them, that would have been a horrible idea. Horrible. That it really would have gone wrong. All right, now we also talked about some uh, more mundane things, like, for instance, Sean Rodriguez. I said we'd get back into Sean Rod here in the final hour of the show. Here's what Mark said on our Madden Monday podcast today over Trib Live. Tim, that is just the whole... <laughs> Another kettle of fish. I can't believe that guy started the last three games. I can't believe what Neil Huntington said about the rationale behind playing him. Like, he has a lot of talent. We're trying to jumpstart him. Every single word that comes out of the mouth of anybody who works for the Pirates is absolute horse manure. And this more than ever before. It is mind-boggling. It is dumbfounding. They need to DFA that bum right away. And I'm tired of hearing and hearing from the Pirates, Tim. What a great guy and clubhouse leader he is. Nobody considers a guy hitting under 150 a clubhouse leader. That has never happened in the history of baseball. If you're the fifth-line guy, the scratcheroo, you're not a leader in hockey. If you're on uh, the taxi squad in football, you can't be a leader. Sean Rodriguez isn't the leader. They might fancy that he is. He isn't. Not I mean, anymore. My God, they got through bobblehead doll night, so can't we just move on? to win games because playing him is not trying to win games playing him is jerking around or jerking something else and we all know what they're jerking and that's the bank account they're paying him so he's playing as we alluded to earlier all right i, I want some pirate fan out there to give me one solid reason why sean rodriguez is actually still playing i, I can't come up with one you know sean rodriguez has actually done the impossible He's gotten Pirates fans to care again. 
412-922-2874. They had slid into such a pit of apathy that people couldn't even bother to get fired up or angry anymore. The most anger expressed at PNC Park over the last couple months were from the people outside on Friday night for something entirely different. Nothing baseball-related, but Sean Rodriguez playing has started to do that again. And the reason for that is because we all know why he's playing. For money and money only. They're trying to justify the expense. They're trying to justify the cause. Damn it, I overspent on this car, so I'm going to run it into the ground. That's what they're doing. But when Mark said, can't we just win games, I don't think they care about winning games. They just care about the bottom line. And at this point now, if they know they're not going to contend, they're just going to cast off as much salary as possible, as early as possible, because they know it's not going to come back to them in terms of revenue and the seats. So just, I think it's a matter of who they get rid of first. You might be stuck with Sean Rodriguez for a little bit longer than you want because somebody might want Jordy Mercer first. Somebody might want Josh Harrison first. Somebody might want Adam Frazier first. I don't know. They'll probably keep Frazier because he's the cheapest, but you catch my drift. Maybe it's Corey Dickerson or David Friesman. Like They're going to run out of guys that can actually play all these positions and be stuck with Rodriguez because they're going to trade the other guys first that still might have some value. Rodriguez, despite the fact he can play so many positions, has driven himself so far into the gutter when it comes to performance that no one's going to do them the service of taking him off their hands for anything. In fact, they're not going to get anything. Like They're not going to get a thing for Josh Harrison. They're not going to get a thing for Corey Dickerson. And they, they don't care. You think they care? They don't care. You know, Mike Terry, they say they care, but they don't. They don't care if anything comes back whatsoever for these guys. All right, last topic. Here's what Mark had to say. This is what I alluded was I was alluding to earlier when Mark was talking about the um, the reason why the Mike Sullivan quotes came out the way that they did about Phil Kessel. Well, with Kessel, I think Jim Rutherford concluded uh, a, a couple weeks ago that he just couldn't replace the 92 points. I think he shopped Kessel around, got. Uh, unsatisfying potential return offered by other teams. And then he said, okay, what am I doing? If that's all I can get, I'd rather keep the guy with 92 points, regardless of the discomfort level it causes my coach. And let me just throw in there, that's the right way to feel in the first place. Uh, Every team has dispute between coach and player. Uh, This one between Kessel and Mike Sullivan may not be resolvable because Kessel's just not going to change who he is and the way he plays. But it's still not a good enough reason to trade him. you just got to hope that both aggrieved parties can work through their differences and be adults. I'm with you on all fronts. And are you with me of the opinion that Sullivan was sort of a case of thou dost protest too much with his emphatic denial that there's ever been a personality rift? Yeah, uh, that was, quite frankly, kind of silly. I'm a Mike Sullivan fan, but uh, to deny that Kessel is high maintenance is just ridiculous. Uh, and, and Mike acted angry when he talked about it, so, gee, that scared me. I'll never talk about it again. Oh, wait, <laughs> I'm talking about it now. Uh, uh, Mike Sullivan usually doesn't have a bad look to what he says. He did that. Yeah, and Mark also talked about uh, how, in his opinion, 
some of the quotes that got out in the Post-Gazette were basically done because the PG's coverage of the Kessel situation was less about the potential of him being moved or the personality conflict between the two, which uh, was kind of ironic to me because, as I recall, it was the PG that had the story that they talked to the Coyotes about Kessel, and it just never manifested in part because Domi went to the Canadians before. But I don't know. Maybe there was less. I don't remember off the top of my head. I don't know if that's true or not. But um, he did talk to the PG at the draft first in front of everybody else. So I don't know. But I, I don't recall off the top of my head who said more about whatever personality conflict may or may not have existed. But if they're if they're thinking that much, and if it was true, then Sullivan probably should have said something earlier. If it's true that there was no personality conflict ever, and the Penguins were concerned about who was saying what, then why not address it on June 5th after Bob McKenzie says the Kings are calling? Why not address it on May the 26th when Mark first said that he heard that Kessel would be open to a trade and the Penguins were listening? Why? I'll give you the answer. Because they wanted to see if a good offer came along. And it didn't. So he's still a Penguin. And now those guys have to work it out. We'll talk more about that with Jonathan Bambouli from the Trib next. Tim Benson for Adam Crowley. Just to follow up, because I think I alarmed you with that Bradley Wanamaker story about him going to the Celtics, Tom. Um, says here that if Kyrie Irving stays and Rozier is the backup to Irving and then Smart goes, basically Wanamaker is going to be the third point guard. That uh, I just can't believe we're talking about him coming I mean, back to the NBA. I, I never thought I would hear, hear his name again. Yeah, to that degree as well. And it looks like it means that Shane Larkin's out. So he's more like a replacement for Larkin, who would have been the emergency behind Smart. So there you go. That's the that's the domino. Get your Brad Wanamaker Celtics jersey. I, I might get you that for Christmas. I would love it. Jonathan Bambouli, the Trib, joined me uh, earlier today. And this is what he had to say about a number of different topics. Now, I should point out, uh, before we close out the show here, by getting to this interview with Jonathan, that... Some other things took place as we were starting the show today, and um, one of them was, we did get into this with Jonathan, but there were some restricted free agent qualifying offers that were made and some that were not, particularly to Tom Kuhnhockel and Riley Shane, and the general consensus appears to be that they'll let Kuhnhockel go out to unrestrict the free agency, and Shane they're hoping to bring back. And um, if he doesn't, well, then it's Teddy Pluger time, so we'll have to talk about that a little bit more in depth. Uh, Brian Metzer, I will tweet that out. Later on, he got in-depth about the um, way things might fall if, in fact, Shane leaves. So that nugget was out there. Also, Jim Rutherford saying they're trying to pare down the minutes of Chris Letang. That means they're probably going to have to get another defenseman that can really play, not just another Matt Hunwick. No, one that can really play to pare the minutes down on that side of the ice. And, uh, of course, Rutherford said, Was I trying to trade Phil Kessel? (laughs) Me? Like, I would ever consider that? No. We talked to Jonathan about why all this news came out today and so little happened at the draft over the weekend in Dallas. I think a lot of the GMs, you know, just looking at comments from other GMs, Ron Hextall is one that sticks out in my mind where he was just like, yeah, I thought there'd be a lot more going on, but hey, what are you going to do? The, the thing is, is that when you don't have a deadline, like, I mean, there's sort of a deadline with the draft because the picks that are being made that weekend are like 
tangible currency and so that that like lends some urgency to the situation like trade me your guy you can pick your prospect right now so that ends lends a little bit of urgency but it's not the same urgency as the trade deadline because all these guys that want to make moves they could do it you know this week they could do it next week they could do it next month they could do it whenever they want so um without that deadline you know to to really motivate them you had a bunch of guys sitting around talking to each other. How hard do you think Jim Rutherford tried to make a deal, and is he at all concerned that he hasn't? I'm sure he isn't concerned that he hasn't, because um, I've actually heard him say, not so much recently, but a number of times, you know, we don't play a game till October. So, um, and he always has confidence in his ability to get a deal done. Yeah, I mean, I think he's, I think he's definitely involved with everything. Um, because that's just sort of how he operates. I mean, he, he does a lot of due diligence on a lot of fronts, so I'm sure he's looking all over the place. I, I mean, there, if you ask me, there's still a debate to be had about whether that's whether he should be. Um, I, I can still make a fairly strong case for, you know, stand pat for the most part. Um, but I know, you know, that that's not – nobody wants to hear that, and that's really not all that exciting a discussion, but – um, well, it's, not exci- it's not exciting, but it might be practical. Do you think it's more practical to do nothing? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not worried about the practical as far as it being practical. But look, I feel like, you know, you realize last year that this team was in, in January and February was probably the best team in the league. And then they made some changes around the trade deadline and started playing worse. Now, that could be a coincidence. It probably is. Um, you added better players. Derek Broussard's a good player. But you changed up your mix, and it didn't help. And so that's one bit of evidence. And then the other bit of evidence is the longer offseason and how much of an impact that's going to have. And I happen to think it's going to have a pretty big impact, especially on guys that were dealing with injuries, Crystal Tang being number one on that list. So now you're starting to see some evidence mounting that maybe, you know, radical. I'm not arguing against any sort of personnel changes. I'm saying, like, you know, significant roster-changing sort of moves. I can make I can make you a bunch of cases um, for why I wouldn't do that. I mean, and, and I also, I feel like the things that this team needs to do better are the kind of things that would be addressed with smaller moves. Like, for instance, like, they need to win some battles on the wall. Um, they need to, you know, make some more conservative decisions by their defensemen. Guys who win battles on walls and make conservative def- decisions on defense, they don't cost that much. You don't have to give up that much in trade to get them. Um, those are smaller moves. So, you know, like I said, I, I, I understand you, when you're in a win-now situation, you always want to try to make your team better. And that's where that's where Jim Rutherford is operating. That's the position he's operating from. Make your team better. Um, but sometimes, you know, less is more. And, and and I'm not even saying that I, I, I'm advocating for less is more. I'm just saying it's a perfectly reasonable position, and I think it's one that hasn't been explored all that much in the media. Jonathan Bambouli with us from the Trib. Tim Benz with you. It is our Breakfast with Benz podcast brought to you by Dr. Phone Fix. The notion of trading Phil Kessel would not be small. That would be large. Uh, were there any more discussions that you knew of that went on during this weekend, Jonathan? And based on Mike Sullivan's reaction should we now assume that that's not going to happen? Well, I mean, I, I, I would, yes and no. I mean, yes, you would assume that it's it's less likely because of the tone of Mike Sullivan's sort of 
denial of a, of a rift with Phil Kessel because, I mean, look, he, he pretty much has to, he can't come out and say, yeah, that guy's a jerk. I understand that. I mean, there's no way that just wouldn't work. Um, but he could take different sort of look. If Mike Sullivan doesn't want to say something, he's really good at saying nothing. I mean, he does it routinely all year. He, he can give you a really long speech that says zero. And he didn't do that regarding Kessel. I mean, regarding Kessel, he said, you know, do we disagree sometimes? Sure, but we both respect each other's abilities to do what we do. So I, does it make it less likely that he's traded? I'm not sure. Um, probably. He's not going to be traded because of a big public feud with the coach. So there were maybe, you know, three or four reasons why you might want to trade Phil Kessel. One of them is if he has a big public feud with the coach, you can scratch that one off the list. But at the same time, he's still his value is never going to be higher. Still, you're going to need cap space for Gensel and Murray's contracts next summer and the summer after that. The, 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 the sort of baseline logic behind exploring a Phil Kessel trade still exists no matter what anybody says. Um, do I think it's going to happen? No, I don't. But, you know, like I said, it was never to me, it was never about that anyway. I mean, I just always assumed that the people would act like adults when it came right down to it. Um, and it seems like they have. But that doesn't mean, you know, like I said, uh, will there be a trade today, tomorrow, Phil Kessel? I think that's really unlikely. Will there be before his contract is up? I think that's much more likely. Yeah, I think it's significantly less likely than it was before the draft. And like you, Jonathan, as I wrote about in the trip too, I was dubious of the chances of it happening before Dallas. But, you know, when I heard Sullivan, to use your words, and the tone in which he addressed it, uh, there was sort of a thou dost protest too much reaction that I had in the sense that, you know, in the sense that the Penguins hate it when negativity around their team comes out. They've had, what would you say now, a month, six weeks of an opportunity to have Mike Sullivan address, deny, or leak out any sort of quotes that he wanted to to quell the storm around the alleged relationship between him and Kessel, and they didn't do it until after it became clear that a deal wasn't going to be swung. I, I don't think that timing is a coincidence. Well, maybe. Um, but, I, again, when you do when you do it the other way, when you jump out and get out ahead of it, then are you validating the, the claims in the first place, which is something that you try not to do. Um, well, what's the difference between allegedly validating the claims in early June as opposed to draft weekend? Because this was organic. Like the coach generally will speak at the draft and then reporters will ask him questions. So it was, you can just say it was organic. He, he didn't have a media availability until now. And so that's why he made the denial now. Yeah, I, I guess. But it's also, you know, there was no organic nature to him going up to Toronto and talking to Phil last year. And it was still widely reported and heralded as this great move as, you know, sort of a summit to get together with Phil. I just, I know the Penguins are really good about putting out information that they want out there. And if sure. they want, if they wanted Sullivan to look like he was quelling the situation, he could have. And I think it would be widely received by their fan base who loves to read such news. Let me put it to you that way. Well, that's true. I mean, I'm sure people would like to hear we are not trading Phil Kessel. But, I mean, that's not, that's not their position. It really never has been their position. Even while denying any sorts of reports of, of you know, uh, bad feelings, that's never been accompanied with, we will not trade Phil Kessel. Right, because that's not, that's not their position. Will they trade for Jeff Skinner? <laughs> I, I don't I'm skeptical of that, and I'll tell you why. Here's the big reason. Um, L.A. signs Ilya Kovalchuk. 
and, and well, agrees to sign. They can't sign him until July 1st. To me, that so you get the teams that wanted Kovalchuk but didn't get him. So that's San Jose and Vegas, at least. Um, you know, Boston, definitely Boston. Um, and then you, you hear reports about a couple other teams that are looking for high-end scoring. St. Louis is, is tops of that list. But, I mean, there's plenty of others. There's... You know, Minnesota wants to change things up. Nashville's been sniffing around scores. Uh, the Islanders, I'm sure, with Lou Amarillo, they want to do something. So now I'm up to about a third of the league that wants to add scores. Um, so it's not that I don't think that, that Jim Rutherford will try to get Jeff Skinner. It's just I feel like there's going to be a lot of competition for Jeff Skinner personally. Um, and, and he has a no trade clause, so he gets to decide to, to a certain extent where he goes. It, it's And so, you know, I'm just talking on kind of probability and, and, and you know, nothing really um, groundbreaking there. I just think, you know, if you ask me who's going to – are the Penguins going to win the Stanley Cup next year, your answer should be no because, you know, there's 30 other teams trying. Are the Penguins going to get Jeff Skinner, you know, in a trade in the next two weeks? Well, no, because there's 10 other teams trying. It's just a matter of math. But uh, ma- also, Math in the salary cap, too, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah, salary cap and, and what you have available to give up in that. You know, I'm sure some of those other teams have more in the way of – I actually don't know what Carolina wants. I mean, normally in that type of situation, you'd want prospects, high-end prospects, um, or, or high draft picks. And But I don't know. Carolina's kind of like they're not really rebuilding, but they're sort of rebuilding. So it, it's hard to – what they really have is a new owner who wants to, you know, shake things up. So – it's kind of hard to see where that's going, but I, I personally, um, I, I definitely take a less is more approach when it comes to somebody like Jeff Skinner. I, I think you're at, at some point you're just collecting hockey cards you know, without regard to, to, you know, how your lineup fits together. So Jeff Skinner is a really good player. I mean, he'll score 30 goals. He scores 30 goals all the time. You put him with a Crosby or a Malkin or even a Broussard, and he's probably going to put up some big numbers. Um, but to me, the Penguins need to give up fewer goals. They don't need to score more goals. So if I'm dedicating my limited resources in one direction, it would be in that direction. Um, but like I said, hey, that's just me. Final few moments here with Jonathan Bomboli of the Trib. I thought you made a good point in your wrap-up of the draft in that we're starting to get a sense as to how the scouting department is looking moving forward, particularly when it comes to the matter of size versus skill, much more of the latter than the former. I think it's a, a real forward-thinking approach, which will serve this organization well um, in the next few years. Because this is Patrick Alvin's first draft that he's running as a head scout, so you don't really know exactly how he's going to approach things. And they took smaller guys. And, and, and the other thing I liked about the guys is that they're small, they're skilled, they're good skaters. But they've also been productive. Like, they're, they, it's not a matter of this guy did a lot of – you know, he was good on the VO2 test at the Combine in Buffalo. It's it's the, There's no Mike Mamulas in this draft class. It's guys that put up numbers. Was that a little too obscure of NFL draft reference? Not for me, no. But, <laughs> <laughs> and not for yeah. any of our listeners in Philadelphia. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like about a guy who, you know, impressed everybody with his bench press and then can't actually play football. These guys were, you know, among the leading scorers in their position at a young age in the Western Hockey League, which is a good league. So uh, to me, that 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 shows you're you're not stuck in a in a backward way of thinking. And, and frankly, over the last couple of years, you know, you started to wonder because they took they used some high picks on some defensemen that were called throwbacks. 
And throwback means, you know, they're bigger and meaner, but they're not as good skaters. And, you know, you need you need a guy like that or, you know, two at the most, but you need the majority of your defense core these days to be mobile. Um, and I think it's pretty clear that Patrick Alvine understands that and, and Jim Rutherford is on board. Um, before the draft, Alvine told me that he thought that Rutherford um, is trying to th- – when, when they go into a draft, he's trying to think not just the way the game has evolved now, but the way it's going to evolve in two and three years when these kids get to the NHL. I thought that was a forward way, forward-thinking way of looking at it too. So to me, that's a, that's a real good sign. It's a sign that, you know, people are, are, are learning and, and uh, not getting stuck in the past. So you need that from your scouting department. I mean, even if you're – I understand in a win-now situation, you're, you're always trying to build through trades and free agency, but you still need those guys to come in, that pipeline coming in of your own homegrown guys. And I think the pipeline is probably in pretty good hands. That's Jonathan Bumbuli of the Pittsburgh Trib. You can check out the full podcast at Trib Live. Our Penguins beat writer also look for his new and updated post after speaking with Jim Rutherford earlier today. That'll do it for us this evening. I'll be back for Adam again tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Ah!